Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is The Score. An Odyssey station. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. The Score! Okay. Yes. Well, you almost need sunscreen for this Christmas. Welcome and welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody. We're in for Mully and Haw today, Christmas Eve day. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Text us, call us, 312-644-6767. Saturday suckage on Friday. Saturday suckage whenever requires a suckage roll call. Don Cooper. If I think something sucks, I'll tell you it sucks. Grobber. It sucks and it freebases. Mike Tomlin. Uh, sucking. Jake Arietta. This sucks. Really, it does. Brian Cashman. I also know that we suck right now. Albert Almora. Damn, Willie, man. Like, do we suck? Pat Fitzgerald. Sometimes you got to embrace the suck. Eloy Jimenez. Oh, my God, this sucks. Really? It sounded a lot like Toby there, Sean. Hey, uh, you guys not going to make anyway. You guys are suck. Hey, when, when I got traded the next day, oh, welcome to the suck team. Random Bears fan. Mark Grody. Hey, I'm here, and I'm happy, and everything is great. Bruce Levine. How about Bruce Levine? Should we do that? Bruce. 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 We're taking a roll. Are you here, Bruce? You know, uh, guys, I've uh, I've never had such a sucky uh, intro in my entire career, so this sucks. <laughs> yes. Welcome to it. Bruce is brought to you on the Circa Resort Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Bruce, the Cubs and Carlos Correa. So the story that you first broke, you first enumerated or listed and wrote on Tuesday. Start there and then catch our audience up to where we are now. 
the Cubs had uh, numerous and um, great interest in Carlos Correa before December 1st when the baseball lockout uh, came and uh, all baseball things were halted. Uh, there is also interest by Correa, and why wouldn't he want to come to the greatest sports city, greatest baseball city in the world, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, the assumption here is that uh, Carlos Correa would like the same contract or more than Corey Seager signed for 10 years, $325 million. The Chicago Hubs, the Chicago Hubs, those two, the Chicago <laughs> Cubs have a lot of money and they're not afraid to say that they have a lot of money to offer and to spend in 2022, 23, 24, 25, keep going. And uh, Carlos Correa would be the subject as soon as a lockout strike ends because he is a difference maker on the field. He is a difference maker in the locker room. He would be a difference maker in postseason. And he's a difference maker in sales and marketing as well for the Chicago Cubs. And that is what was great to hear about everything you just said, Bruce, was that the Cubs have the money and they're not afraid to to spend it. And whether or not the Cubs get Carlos Correa, we don't know. But my question is this. How far are they willing to spread that money? Is this one or two players? Or could, could the Cubs put together a really good team this year if, as you said, they have the money and they're not afraid to spend it? So their payroll after the trade uh, last year for all the superstars uh, moving out of town uh, dropped in half. They were 15th in baseball after the previous five years being in the uh, top five. And uh, they have $99 million committed for 2022. Stroman, Hayward, Hendricks, Contreras, Miley, uh, Gomes, Hap, and Bodie are the only guys making over the minimum. So that is three, six, seven, eight players. Uh, the, uh, the payroll is going to be somewhere, even, even if it's at $160 million, uh, which would be probably somewhere in the bottom of the top third in baseball, uh, they still have... 60 or 70 million dollars to spend for 22. So this they can easily give uh, Stroman a seven-year, 224 million dollar contract, which would give them give him an AAV of 32 million dollars a year by uploading it to the top and, and paying him the most money in baseball. In 2021 and two, or 2022 and 2023, by surpassing um, Mike uh, Trout and giving him 37 million dollars a year in the in the first year and the second year, averaging the rest out at 30 million dollars a year, and giving him a, uh, an, a the ability to walk out after the first two years. We're talking with Bruce Levine, my- baseball insider here, co-host with David Haw of inside the clubhouse. Can you clarify see what your statement that the Cubs are going to try to convince him to take a seven year deal and, mm-hmm. and 10 seems to be the standard. Yeah. This sounds like a really 
I don't know what move money, what the clarify where the money is because this sounds like the White Sox botching the Manny Machado negotiations because well, the player uh, you know, has the leverage. Yes, yeah, Steve, uh, how many 10-year contracts in your memory have worked out? I'm not saying I mean, they won't this- work out, but you, if you don't have the leverage to get a seven-year contract, the player has the so leverage. The leverage is in the, the best city in the world and the money that they have to spend. So uh, the first two years, the way that I structured it, okay, if he gets $37 million in 2022 and 23, right, he's the highest paid position player in baseball, only trailing uh, Scherzer for a total payroll salary for those years, okay? If you give him the ability to walk at age 29 after those two years, he's still in a situation or has the ability to sign another seven, eight, or 10-year contract for that much or more somewhere else. Or if he's not all that good and he's still, you know, just average Carlos Correa, he still has $30 million a year for five more years to get paid. It's a, it's a win-win for everybody involved. Well, I look at it as a situation where the, the Cubs refused to spend money last year, couldn't wait to offload salaries. They, they ended their season a year ago, December, when they traded Darvish. And I don't know that this is necessarily necessarily the right approach when when it, it unless it's upfront money that Korea wants whatever he wants somebody's going to give it to him the cubs might want to do it their way the way the white Sox wanted to do it their way with machado and it doesn't work out when the player has the leverage so that's what he might have the leverage but tell me how many teams can afford to give him 350 million dollars all you need is one more I, I agree. I'm just asking you to tell me which one that'll be. I don't know. Yankees, they always have money. The Red Sox, they always Yankees, have money. Yankees, Mats, an- well, Angels. Guess uh, what? Yeah. If the Cubs want to do it, they have the money, okay? Yeah. So if you're saying they don't want to spend the money, I get it. I understand that that you don't think they want to spend uh, $350 million for 10 years on a player. I personally would like to be able to protect myself and my franchise and still get the best player for now, and I think they can do it. I, I, I think, you know, the, Steve mentioned the, the U Darvish thing from last year, and he, he just mentioned that that's where their season ended. So that, that's where most of my interest still goes right now and the starting staff. Marcus Stroman was a nice signing for sure. You still have a solid, solid, close to number one, maybe the number one Kyle Hendricks on your staff, the signing of Wade Miley. Beyond, beyond that, that, for my money, that's about it. So, Bruce, is it possible that the Cubs sign make another splash to solidify their pitching staff because that is where they went wrong last year. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I don't. I think. Give me a reason why you signed Marcus Stroman for twenty-five million dollars a year uh, for the next three years, unless you want you feel as an organization, as an entity trying to uh, entertain and uh, keep your fan base interested. Why you want keep taking it a step further is Marcus Stroman 
going to satisfy you. A lot of people want to compare this to Edwin Jackson, okay, and their original uh, rebuild back in 2012 and how they threw mm-hmm. four years and $44 million at Edwin yeah. Jackson. I, I Marcus, understand that. I get Marcus that Stroman is, is a much better pitcher than Edwin Jackson was. And, and I, I don't think... I don't think you, you spend that kind of money unless the goal is to continue to spend and continue to go after, as you say, more pitching, uh, continue to build more young pitching in your organization, and try to be the team that you were going forward in 2014, 15, 16, 17, once again. So, again, is, was there a collective failure by the Chicago Cubs to build a farm system that could sustain and fortify this team beyond 2016 and 17? No, uh, it, it, it just wasn't there. So throwing money uh, at uh, situations, uh, that's, that's, not, that's not always the way to do it. In, in this situation, you're talking about a 27-year-old player who is one of the more accomplished playoff players uh, in history after already playing in 79 playoff games at, by age 27. So you're, you're taking a risk on any player for, for 7 to 10 years, especially yeah. a guy who has a bad back and has uh, had problems staying on the field except for 2020 in the truncated season and last year where he played 148 out of the 162. But you also have to send a message out to the rest of the players that we are the Chicago Cubs. We are going to try to win every year, and we need to let everybody know we're going to go after the best players. Yeah, I, Bruce, I think that I, I got no problem in this case this year if the Cubs are to, you know, as you put it, throw money at the problems because of how disastrous in, in sports uh, lexicon, how disastrous things were last year with trading out the core with two double-digit losing streaks last year. It was a it was an awful, embarrassing year. So it, the message has to be sent not just to the players but to the fan base as well, that yeah. if the Cubs want to keep being that that business that they have been since you know Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein took over, that this is a new way of doing business. They can't have seasons like they had last year. So I'm good with throwing money at issues and telling the fans that, yes, we are back open for business. Marcus Stroman is again recruiting Carlos Correa. I, I don't know what their the depth of their relationship is. I don't know where it comes from. Do you have? Can you give us a sense? Bruce? No, I, I don't. I, I mean, uh, other than being a fellow uh, Major League Baseball yeah. players, I do not know the depth of their... Uh, but, but, uh, but it's a really good thing in sports now. I think fans love it. Mm-hmm. I think people in general love the idea of guys saying, okay, dudes, you, you, you signed me to this huge contract. I'm coming to your town, but you better bring some other people along because the goal is to win. Not for me just to show up and, uh, and pitch by myself or with one or two other guys of Major League Caliber. And I, I, think it's, I think it's fascinating in this time that, uh, that players you know, have that voice and are not afraid to say, let's keep doing more. And they have the hammer. Marcus Stroman has the hammer, right, for the next three years with the Cubs at mm-hmm. the very least. He can, like, like the creativity I talked about in the contract, for Correa, 
Strowman has that same ability. He can walk after two years, okay? And if he doesn't like what he's seeing here after making $50 million for two years, he's on his way to somewhere else at this, at 32. So, you know, those are the, the creativity of these contracts and, and the ability for them to get super rich after a couple of years and then still be able to pick another place where they want to go and try to compete and win. I, th I think it's fantastic. It, it's, it's not great for owners, but I think it's great for the fans and for the sport. Hey, Bruce, what, what about some of these guys that uh, performed out of their minds last year on the Cubs, like Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel? Do guys like that have a place on this team this year? Oh, yeah, they're starting players right now, okay? So uh, are they going to repeat what they were able to do last year? Is uh, Schwindel going to be the, you know, you know, like he was one of the top players in the National League two months in a row where teams couldn't even figure out how to pitch the guy because <laughs> if you threw it outside or you threw breaking balls, he's going to hit it to right field. If you threw it inside, he would hit it out of the ballpark to left. Uh, I thought it was tremendously entertaining if anyone was paying attention and not everybody was to watch you know career minor league guys at age 29 and 30 be able to compete at the major league level uh you know other people would say well cubs were, in, were not in contention they weren't being taken seriously by the opponents uh, it'll be a different outcome this year it's going to be interesting to watch to see if that's true or not i, I thought it was a great story and i think it was embraced by cub fandom who was were tired of the narrative about uh, will we be able to sign Rizzo, Baez, and Bryant over the last three years? Yes, I like that, and I like I am with you on Korea <clears throat> trying to lobbying, recruiting. I like that, and uh, given the fact they're not playing baseball and there's a lockout, anything that smacks of somebody wanting to be on a team with another guy looks good to me. That that'll have to replace it for now. Bruce, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Guys, uh, before we go, I just want to send out a uh, condolence to uh, Billy Williams on the loss of his life, wife, uh, Shirley, who uh, had a struggle for the last 10 years, and uh, also to our good friend uh, Jeff Dickerson and his son Parker. Uh, you know, I hope they uh, are doing as well as possible. And uh, happy holidays to you guys and, and to all our, our great listeners and people at the station. Take care, guys. You too. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Bruce. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that um, about Billy Williams's wife and um, our, my colleague, our colleague, Jeff Dickerson from from ESPN. He is in an absolute battle right now. So um, I send out my uh, prayers to Jeff and to his family and to everybody in his closest circle right now. And who knows, maybe Jeff is crazy enough to be listening to this sports radio station right now. So God, God bless you, Jeff and your family. It is JD. We're with you. We're with you. Um, we take a break. Rosenblum and Grody. We are in for Molly and Haw. Uh, second half of the hour, we will talk with Jay Hilgenberg. We'll talk offensive line with an offensive lineman from your sole Super Bowl champion Bears. But before that, look who got a Hall of Fame vote. We got to talk about this, and we will okay. after this. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. 
fastball and this a fly ball in the short left field. Pierzynski wanting to know, am I going? He is going. Here comes a throw by Merton. It is a collision at the plate. And Pierzynski not only bangs into Barrett, bangs onto the plate. And here they go. Posednik getting into it with Barrett. And now both dugouts empty. Barrett punched Pierzynski right in the grill. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. That's really good timing, the Grinch with A.J. Pierzynski. Welcome in, welcome back. Late great Ed Farmer. Pierzynski punched him, Barrett punched him right in the grill. Right in the grill! Right in the grill! And against all odds... A.J. Pruszynski got a Hall of Fame vote. Wow. I thought that was remarkable. And that's why we played that. I wanted to come back with it. The vote came from T.R. Sullivan, who covered the Texas Rangers for 32 years and listed his ballot the way everyone who reveals it does. Everybody writes about what they, here's who I voted for and here's why. And number 10 on his ballot, the only vote revealed so far for A.J. Pruszynski, T.R. Sullivan says, until I actually saw his name on the ballot, I never, ever, even once thought about A.J. Pruszynski as a Hall of Famer. Never. And I never heard or read anything from another writer about Pruszynski being a Hall of Famer. White Sox manager Ozzie Guillen once said, if you play against him, you hate him. If you play with him, you hate him a little less. The DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth beat writers, dislike Pruszynski so much, we voted him the winner of the Harold McKinney Good Guy Award in 2013 in his only year with the Rangers. I might have had something to do with that. <laughs> so this whole thing's a sham, is what well, you're saying. Well, no, because he makes a really good point that I can't say I was aware of as much as I like Pruszynski. T.R. Sullivan says Pierzynski was Yadier Molina's equal as an offensive player. Molina was far better defensively, which is why he will one day go into the Hall of Fame. This figures to be one and done for Pierzynski, even if he was one of the best catchers of his generation. However, that he was right there alone ought to merit at least some Hall of Fame consideration. There was something else. Pierzynski was a fierce competitor. And he could also be a bit devious. He was a smart player and a stand-up guy in the clubhouse. There is just something strangely irresistible about that combination, so I voted for him. And that's A.J. Brzezinski's Hall of Fame vote. Man, now we're, just, now we're just the T.R. Sullivan. Now we're just throwing stuff. We're making up our own rules here. <laughs> well, they always do. They let you. I do. know. Some guy just sent in, again, the annual blank ballot. That's yeah. One of the voters sent that in. Uh, Ace of Spader, um, it is the tracks it. And uh, Ryan, uh, not, I'm sorry, not Mr. Tibbs tracks it. Um, and you can see that at the... Um, that there'll be blank ballots sent in, and then there's there handicaps the chances of, of of these players getting in. It's not every ballot; it's just those who choose to reveal it, and he keeps score. But if you look, if you look at 
Yadier Molina's, um, if you look at his career stats compared to A.J. Pruszynski, and you look at on-base and slugging, A.J.'s got a better slugging percentage. He's got a better OPS. And and he's right there with Yadier Molina, who is revered. He's a god, right? Well, it, defensively, he's better than A.J. Pruszynski. But you're talking about offensively, A.J. Pruszynski was – I don't know if underrated, maybe not rated at all, maybe not even considered in that kind of situation, but he was right there with Yadier Molina, who was deified in St. Louis. Well, yeah, and you can't just discount that defensive part. I mean, that does often make the difference between Hall of Fame and not Hall of Fame. With a catcher. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go through and find lots of catchers that are probably been, you know, decent offensively and were not as good defensively. At, you know, AJ got better as his career went on. You know, early in his career, he was he was criticized for being one of those catchers who was more, you know, concerned about his own statistics and calling certain pitches when a runner was on first base and trying to steal and make life a little bit more convenient from him. And he, he had a rough ride in San Francisco. Who knows what is true and what is not about how he handled his pitching staff, I think, in his one glorious year there. Um, you know, and obviously he had a, a nice run in Minnesota and a really good run. So that's the thing about A.J. Przinsky. He's a guy that got better as his career went on. I mean, like I said, really good in Minnesota. Annoyed the hell out of Sox fans while he was a twin. But then he seemed to... <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to, oddly enough, he seemed to mature as a as a player and maybe even as a person when he was with the White Sox and kind of accepted his role as defense first or handling your pitching staff first, and then you could think about your offense. And obviously the offense was clutch. Uh, it was the word that I would use for A.J. Pruszynski. A uh, bit devious. That is perfect for him. As far as like, <laughs> as far as like leadership is concerned, I, I, I don't know if that's befitting of A.J. Pruszynski or not in terms of the clubhouse. I mean, he... I, I guess maybe from a media perspective, the word that I would use is he was all—he could be snotty with the media at times um, in covering him. But uh, and and some players were turned off by him. Some players liked him. So I don't know if he was a wholly a, a galvanizer or a leader like Yadier Molina is and and was. And obviously Molina's got the defensive package too. Interesting, nonetheless, though, that he would give a vote to. To AJ Przinsky, right, made up, but but you give him. I give T.R. Sullivan props for the honesty, right? Isn't that what we want? Sure. Why did you Why did you vote for him? What do you? Yeah. you're making up your own rules. Okay, here are the rules. Here's why. He's devious. I mean, he was part of a group that we hate this guy so much. We're going to give him a good guy award. Right, so he right, has to right. get up there and speak. I, mean, <laughs> I love that. And yeah. speaking of at this time of year, we have a couple notes before we get to uh, take a break. To bring in Jay Hilgenberg, Heidi Stevens, who used to write for the Tribune, writes for Tribune Content Services now and writes a column, had tweeted this out with a comment, the level of honesty I've come to respect in a holiday card. So maybe I'll get a holiday card from Spilkus. Maybe I won't. Like you got, Mark. I don't know. I don't know what would be written in it. But this was what was written in the card that, at this time of year, that Heidi Stevens received. It was great seeing you. Bang. That means exclamation point. Yeah. Hope to see you again soon. 
Bang. Say hi to your family and maybe send me some pictures. I can't even remember your husband or children's names. Love so and so. That's the unvarnished honesty in that is terrific. That is awesome. Yeah. And for you uh, last minute shoppers out in LA, uh, you last minute wake and bake club members in LA, and I know we have you out there, and you'd be waking up now. Diva. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she was responsible. For this, the ugly Hanukkah sweater I'm wearing. Oh, really? This, this this ugly Hanukkah sweater that I featured on my walking Twitter video, just trying to follow in the footsteps of Mark Rody, was part of, it was like the one that Seth Rogen wore. Speaking of Waken Bakers, Seth Rogen wore it in the movie um, The Night Before with Joseph Gordon Lovett. Really? And he went into his Jewish drawer to get it. And this sweater was part of the swag bag, and the diva was on the junket. So they gave oh. everybody got a swag bag, and this was the ugly Hanukkah sweater. Oh, that's incredible. Do you have a Jewish drawer, by the way? In your oh, I got a whole closet. There's a whole Jewish. You whole got a whole Jewish house full of, Jew- of, yeah. of Jewness, don't right. you? I do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, every, yep. everywhere you look. Uh, but for those of you in L.A. where the diva is, and if you're waking and baking, do you know that Allen Iverson has his own line of pot? Did not know that. He no. has his, he has strains with Al Harrington, it, the Viola company that Al Harrington started, named after his mom. Yeah. Allen Iverson, has, it's only available in California, and it it has a flavor of Dom Perignon. <laughs> does it does it Alan Iverson strike you as somebody who is desperate to make money? Um he may need it. I don't know. Um I I I don't that's a it's I see him doing like the gambling commercials yeah. and like just doing anything. So like, that, I don't know. I, I just have that weird feeling that is he's Is that the just, bar? Is that the barometer for you? Um the gambling commercials? Yeah, I guess so. I don't. I don't know. He's, he's really playing on vices, isn't he? You know, like uh, gambling, the pot. So I don't know what's next. Uh, Don Perignon. There you go. Yeah, it tastes like it's like Don. Don, <laughs> so, Don Perignon. Yeah. So there's only a couple. Of, it's only available in California uh, for all of our Southern California or all of our, all of our West Coast waking bakers. But I just thought, okay, Iverson has the answer to your. To your pain. And this was a guy who's, he had a history with cannabis. Because he was, a year after he was drafted to play for the Sixers, he was arrested and charged with misdemeanor possession in Virginia. And, you know, now he's trying to sell a, an ounce. Isn't it amazing how silly misdemeanor marijuana sounds now that it's been legalized yeah. in, in our state? Yeah. 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 That's it. So we'll take a break, and we will... Talk some Bears football with a uh, Bears, legendary Bears offensive lineman and someone that uh, Mark's on every pregame show anyways. So Mark Mark's on a pregame show with Jay Hilgenberg. I am. And uh, we will we will talk offensive line and Jermaine Effetti and should he have smacked and pushed and yelled at Tevin Jenkins? Should Tevin Jenkins have done what he did? I don't know. We'll find out what. Jay Hilgenberg, thanks. 
Steve Rosenblum and Mark Rohde, we are in for Mully and Haw. Thanks for listening. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. I thought, you know, I think it's just tough love. You know, he's a, I say he's a good kid. We're, we're a close-knit group. Um, so we, we, we can hold each other accountable. Uh, you know, people, people can say what they want about, uh, I looked and he pushed him, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're big boys. We're big boys. We, 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 uh, we're asked to do a lot and we're, we're all grown men in this, in this, uh, at least in our room. So, uh, nobody, nobody was, nobody was feelings was hurt. We just, we're all men and we're all accountable to everything. Just like they all hold me accountable to do my job and not hurt the team. We all hold each other accountable and, and nobody's nobody's above that, nobody's below that, and that's the good part of our room. And I'm I think that's why we've had some good moments of success this year. Welcome in, welcome back, Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you. We're in for Mully and Haw this morning, Christmas Eve day, Saturday suckage on Friday just to throw everybody off. But we suck, so your Christmas Day doesn't have to. Coming into the segment, we heard Jermaine Effetti talking about Tevin Jenkins and talking about his uh, tough love to Tevin Jenkins. So, Mark, when you heard Jermaine Effetti talk about what was going on, what did you think when you saw it, and what did you think of his explanation? I was pretty surprised when I saw it. I mean, it's always kind of uh, jarring, I'll use that word again, when you see a player out on the field being physical with a teammate. And it wasn't like in a attacking way. It was a, get, hey, get your ass in line, get your butt back in the huddle. This is a bunch of nonsense. So I was a little bit surprised by it in real time, actually watching that go down on the sidelines and getting the close-up view. But... I will say this from having heard Jermaine Fetty yesterday and from actually getting a chance to talk to him one-on-one for the, for the pregame show, it sounds like all is okay and that Tevin Jenkins wasn't turned off by it and it's a, it's a tough love moment and they're, they're, they're in their own offensive line world and they took care of things in-house. And I think uh, Justin Fields had the right approach. I think he had the right thought is uh, we need more of that. I was glad to see that, but bro, do it between whistles. Yeah. Well, and here's the, here's the part where I am on team Tevin Jenkins, because I have to imagine that as a rookie playing in his second game, it's kind of an involuntary response for a while when you see a, a teammate of yours, let alone the quarterback, the guy whose you, your job, your life depends on protecting that guy, the guy that wears number one for the Bears. If you don't protect that guy and stick up for that guy, you're, you're never going to make it on this team or anywhere in the NFL. He, So I, I think that I can't imagine that right away in your career, you could just have that taken out of your system. It's like a truly a learning moment for, for, uh, for, for Tevin Jenkins in that case. Well, let's find out what an actual offensive lineman thinks. We'll go to the Circa Resort Casino in Las Vegas, our guest hotline, Circa Resort Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and we welcome back to the show 
Jay Hilgenberg. Jay Hilgenberg, a member of the legendary 1985 Bears offensive line. Actually, for five years, they owned the line of scrimmage, people. That was them. They controlled the ball. They led the league in time of possession. They were going to run, and you knew it, and they knew it, and there was nothing you could do about it. And they protected their quarterback as best they could, give or take a Charles Martin. Jay, thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. And we were talking about Jermaine Effetti and Tevin Jenkins and Justin Fields right. said, I like what you did. I just want you to do it between the whistles. And then some people are lauding him. We need that. We need the fire and the passion. When you saw what Tevin Jenkins did and then you saw Jermaine Effetti and perhaps heard what he had to say, give us, sum up your thoughts on that incident. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. Um, if uh, you see your quarterback get hit, you know, uh, back in the day, you talked about our line. We would have had five guys attacking that guy. We we would have gotten after him, no question about it. Yeah. You, 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 um, so, I don't know. You got to be somehow. You just got to be a little smarter. I, you don't throw a punch. Just go run into the guy hard and push him or something to let him know that you, you got to show some defense for it. I and Jermaine Defetti. I think that that kind of disturbed me a little more how he kind of really uh, pushed um, Tevin there and kind of got after him. It was like he was scolding him on the field. I, I didn't like that because um, I you don't want to you don't want to show up in offense. You're a fellow player ever on the field. I mean he's he's not a, he's not a coach out there. Um, I get it. He's a veteran and he's doing what he feels like was right and. But it's not up to him. I, I, at the end of it, I, I, I liked it was proper. I like it was a frustrating game. It's been a frustrating season. Tevin is just getting his, um, his footings in the NFL, and um, I think it's good to show a little toughness. You know, it's not the first uh, 15 yarder this team has had this year. So what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> that is true, my friend. There's no doubt about that. And here's the other part, Jay. In the when they after they drafted Tevin Jenkins, they were hitting us over the head. And when I say us, I mean the media with how the nasty streak that Tevin Jenkins has. And oh, this guy's mean out on the field, which is good, which you like hearing. That's right. that's a quality you want in an offensive lineman. But then don't be surprised that when in his second game, when he's still working through everything, he shows a little nastiness out on the field, right? Right. You don't want to take that out of him. You, you just don't want to take it out of him. But um, you just can't, you can't make it so blatant. You know, Dicka. Dicka used to tell us, you know, get the guy back, but get him legally. You know, get get him le- legally uh, during the game. Make sure you get him though. But um, <laughs> how did you so, get him legally? What's what's a legal way to get him? Does legal mean just so the the officials don't see it? Well, I, I don't. I in a block, you know, block the guy, you know, down and just finish him onto the ground. You know, if, uh, if he's standing around a pile, take you know, take a shot at a guy. You know, you you have to defend your guy. Or you have to defend your quarterback. I I like the aggressive play. Um, it's uh, it's 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 been a tough year, you know. So and that you know, Tevin has has shown something. It, it has, especially for Tevin. That the I agree with what you guys are saying. I mean, he has a he has a lot to to prove here in a short time. 
so um, he's he's trying to take advantage of it. Unfortunately, you know, he's been making a lot of a lot of penalties, but um, that's going to happen. That's going to happen also, right? Getting thrown in there like he has, but uh, he's shown a lot of uh, promising um, promising play. So I, I I anticipate that he'll he'll uh, keep being out there. I think it's good that he plays the rest of the, these games this year. So he he looks right to you as an offensive lineman, just like from a technique standpoint. Forget all the extracurricular stuff. When you watch him out there, does he look like he has has the right stuff to be a long time offensive lineman in this league? Yeah, I, I you know there's nothing that's really jumping out of, out at me that that shows that that he isn't. Um, you know the the jumping off sides and um, the motion penalties. That that's just the, he's thinking too much about. Uh, he's having the you know, think too much about the plays. There's too much to consume all for him right now. There's a lot going on in that head. Uh, you know, that snap, that snap count's a hard thing to remember at times. I mean, I'm telling you, by the time you're in that huddle and you run up that line of scrimmage, I bet about 60, 70% of the time you forget what the snap count is on. And, and you got to ask someone when you're up there. You're like, you're like, hey, Thayer, what was the snap count? I, I'm sure oh, Thayer took yeah. care of you, right? Oh, we had a, it was every we had a we had a whole coding system that we would asked what was it on. We it was really it, oh <laughs> yeah, awesome. it it went uh, it went through so many different phases. Finally, we had to go with like Indian names with A, B, or C. So um, that was yeah, hey, you definitely. I've had one time um, Harbaugh was a quarterback and uh, the nose guard it was a fourth and one. The nose guard yelled, "What's it on?" And Harbaugh goes, "Monday." And he he told them what it was on. I'd like oh, to really? turn around. <laughs> I, I turned around and looked at him. Going, come on, Jeff. <laughs> that's great. Was man. it? Was that? That sounds like something um, <clears throat> Randall McDaniel might do, or or uh, it's one of the Vikings. That that yeah, sounds like uh, one uh, of the Ra- Vikings. Randall. Um, yeah, um, Randall. John Randall. Yeah. That was somebody. Yeah. John Randall. Yes. More, yeah. Or Keith Keith Millard, one of those yeah, guys. He would yeah. ask. That's, yeah. that's yeah. great. He, I tell you, Keith Millard, he, he was a great player. Anticipation so, of the snap count. There wasn't anybody oh. better than that. Hey, yeah, man, but John I'll, Randall, I'll just, yeah. He, he was a character. I'll just say, like, man, from being a kid watching your, those 80s teams, Minnesota was the only team that scared me in that division back then. They were the only team that gave you guys competition, I thought. Yes, yeah. Well, they had a very strong uh, defensive line. They had, they had good off. Their offensive line was good also, but they had strong defensive line. They 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 were very good. Uh, Chris Dolman, you oh, know, the Hall yeah. of Famer. He was a great one. Keith Millard should be in the Hall of Fame. He was he was an amazing Badass. player. Yeah. Right. They 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 were all good. I mean, really good team. And then playing up in that dome was a was not an easy task at times. Ugh, the roller dome. Yep. Our guest is Jay Hilgenberg of the uh, Bears pregame show, postgame show, halftime show on our brother station, WBBM, 780 AM, 105.9 FM with Jim Schwantz and the inevitable Ron Gleason. Jay, I got a question for you. You've watched Justin Fields absorb what he's absorbed that resulted in Tevin Jenkins' response to that. Does Is Justin Fields subject to official hazing does he not get the same protection because he's a rookie you'd like to think not but i tell you 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 look at it and you you gotta you gotta kind of start thinking that way that that he has been i mean 
the thing that jumps out at me when you're saying that is that Steelers game, uh, you know, some of the, the flags that were not thrown mm-hmm. at, at him in that game. Um, so I, and you got to think, it, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure he, he gets the, he gets uh, some flags thrown. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, uh, Justin's going to he, – he's trying to make plays and and run, so he's a little he's a little different. Maybe I didn't, maybe the referee's got to kind of learn his game a little bit and see what it's about. But, um, you know, he's had a couple uh, ugly uh, collisions out there uh, early in the game this past week where he got, kind of went down on his knees and he got twisted around he was going to the to the north end and then the at the time i think sam uh sam snapped the ball early there uh, uh kind of jumped the snap count on and it came to him and he, he downed his knee and that guy picked him up and slammed him also but they called that one so that that, that was good but yeah i think sometimes a uh, rookie quarterbacks got to kind of earn it a little bit more i think the, the refs kind of check them out and, and see what they're about but um it's unfortunate Hey, Jay, what's the most important thing player-wise in your mind that Justin Fields still needs around him that he doesn't necessarily have right now? You know, I think what really would help him is just the, um, the just the, you know, I hey, I, I'm kind of an old-school, you know, football guy. I believe in running the football and play-action passing. And, you know, I don't know if the, the being out in the, the spread – a formation out of the shotgun is the best thing for him constantly. I just think if they, you know, David Montgomery and Khalil uh, um, been great uh, running back so so far this year that um, I think you could really just pound the ball with those guys and, and you know, consume the clock. And um, so I think just a lot of, you know, play action. I don't think you need to I, I'm always a big believer. I mean, you got to do whatever you, you you can to protect the passer. I mean, if, if it's if you can do it as five man protection, that's great. But uh, you, you watch that game last night. You know, Tennessee, they were they were going you know they were going six seven man protection um, out there on the field, and they were they're making the play action work. So I, I'm kind of a believer in that. Well, pass it along to those people up at Hallis Hall who don't want to leave the rookie left tackle. Uh, who was a right tackle on his own uh, to protect the quarterback with cracked ribs. I don't know. I don't think five-man protection works in that way. Jay, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a good holiday. Bye, Jay. Jay Hilgenberg of the WBBM 780 AM 105.9 FM pregame, postgame, halftime show, and yet another one of the co-Mark Grody Co-partner, co-host with Mark Grody. Partners all over yeah. the place. Yep. Hey, I got to tell you, man, I'm blessed to be working in that Bears radio booth with two 1985 Bears yeah. and Thayer and Hilgenberg mm-hmm. and then Jim Schwantz, a standout uh, special teams player and linebacker for the Bears. And then, hello, sir, Ron Gleason, you're fired. Goodbye. So Schwantz has got a Super Bowl ring, and 
Thayer yeah. and Hilgenberg do. With Dallas. Do you guys compare your, you know, like your World Series ring with their Super Bowl yeah, rings? Yeah, you know, I've never thought about that. I think it's time that I bring the shine up to the WBBM Bears radio booth and be like, hey, how many diamonds are in your ring? There you go. That's it. That's it. Time to bring the shine. You know what it's time for? It's time for What Mark Heard, our near, oh, award, yes. our near award-winning segment. We'll take a break. When we come back, it will be What Mark Heard. Heard Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez ties the game! Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.